Elijah Wood with 24-7 and 365. Time is now 10.38 and you're listening to Brunch with me, Noreen, on this Friday morning. Let's turn to the, the next part of our program and that is an excerpt from Lion Rockers. Now, Lion Rockers is a program that I host every Saturday morning at 8.30 till 9 o'clock. And it's, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, that it's, it's, a, it's a great program where we get the chance uh, for some one-on-one time with some of the familiar voices of radio. People you've heard on other programs but perhaps don't know so much about them or maybe not so much about their childhood or about uh, their thoughts on Hong Kong. So it's a lovely little program, half an hour program, where we get the chance to sit down with some of them. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I got the chance to sit down with Kay Rawbone, who is the CEO and the co-founder of Sailability, which is a local charity that wants everyone of different ability to learn how to sail. Now, in, in this excerpt, that you're about to hear, Kay talks about how she uses, uh, what the Lion Rock Spirit means to her and how she uses it to overcome some of the challenges that she faced along the way. And also she starts by telling us a little bit more about how her nan helped her uh, raising her children. So my nan would, um, at the weekends, go and stay with her sister and stay overnight. Then she'd go back home and then she'd get up on a Monday Come. Um, come to our house, stay there all week, and then go back home. And she'd say, which side of the bed do I get out of today? <laughs> Wasn't sure where she was. <laughs> get your bearings about what you're doing, who you're looking after today. So I think it's it's family thing. And I think it's because she's such a great carer that it also kept her going, kept her young. Oh, yes, it did. Yeah. I mean, she was 17 when she used to, when she came to look after the girls. Yes, yeah. very good. You mentioned just now, Kay, that David, your young son, had mm. leukaemia. What was that whole journey like for you and your family? It was terrible, and it's quite interesting because quite recently um, I looked in a folder which we'd had when David had his uh, his leukaemia, and there was a letter in there that Mike had written, and I'd never, ever read it, which talked about his personal experience. And I'd never seen this. It was just stuffed in a file with something. All which, these years? All these never years. seen it? I mean, David is 40 now, so this we're going back to 1989 when he was diagnosed. He was a very fit child, really fit child. He could ride a two-wheeler bike at three. Um, you know, everything. And then at six, he started to be very slow, um, not eating properly. We thought he was getting a bit lazy, as you do, because he'd always pack his cars up in a big box and take them up to bed. All that sort of thing stopped. Then we had a few nosebleeds. And it took us a while with the doctors to actually get him diagnosed. And when he was diagnosed, we were admitted from the doctors to the hospital um, and then straight into the RVI. We couldn't have been in a better place. We were in Newcastle when he was diagnosed, and they were absolutely golden. But one of the things, we went in into a private ward and I said to Mike, we can't do this. I don't want a six-year-old child in a private ward. Uh, we want, I wanted him to be with other people, not shut away. And be sociable with other people. And to be sociable yeah. and see other people. Um, the ward was um, very good. I mean, you can imagine there were lots of feelings on the ward. At that point, they weren't catering too well for parents that were staying. Um, I slept in a chair for six weeks or in bed with David. There was another little girl at the side of him whose parents went home and I used to pull the curtains around the three of us so she was never alone. 
Uh, but Mike took on the hospital. We're people that take on issues <laughs> through our lives. So he took on the hospital, and in the end, we could have Z beds on the ward. Good for you both. And thank goodness you did that, because how many other parents have to have that emotional burden and to have that sleepless night, but on a chair? Mm. Yes. So it was... Yeah. Uh, it was very taxing, taxing times. I mean, Mike used to come in before he went to work. He'd go home. The, we had fun as well. I mean, Mike and I are, well, were fun people. You know, we tried to make the best. David had as much Lego as he could to keep him going and to keep everybody going. Um, but one day, Mike came in and he'd um, had a seizure. David had had a seizure. And so he went around, got, he got through it. it, he got yeah. through it, and that was okay. Mike insisted one night I went to the flat that we'd been given on the ward because I would sleep on the ward with David. So I did. I need to be back the next morning by the nurses who said, Kay, he snored all night. He can't stay here again. I mean, they were laughing. <laughs> we also started a, a curry club. A curry club. A curry club, because parents were there. We would eat on the ward. We'd have, you know, we got a kitchen plate, kitchen and things like that. So we, we started, and then the doctors used to order their curries, and then we'd bleep them to say, curries have arrived. So it was very much a unit for families, and families to help families. Um, but as I said, it was tough on Mike. We then heard about an organisation up there called the North of England Children's Cancer Research which um, we got involved with afterwards. We almost lost our son three times, um, but the money that went into this charity went purely into research. So we started our own sort of chapter of NECCR. And during that time, we raised about 50,000 pounds. Yeah. Mike rode from London to Newcastle twice. The first one we did in 1991, I think it was, we raised £15,000. That's incredible. Yeah. And it was through your journey with David. Yeah. So we started, that was, you know, we started to do a lot more charity work then. Yeah. Well, let's talk about <clears throat> saleability. Now, you and Mike founded saleability in 2009. Hmm. How did that come about? Oh, perhaps before we talk about that, how did your sailing journey begin? Because I'm, I read that Mike was the one who taught you how to sail. Yes, yes he was. Yes. Mike um, learned to sail at school. So he'd been sailing since he was eight. Wow, that's then, incredible. Yes, after we met, I mean, the first time I think I went on a boat was in London. On a, we rode in London. Um, and then eventually as the children got older, we had a boat. We had one that was um, not very stable to start with, where he dropped the tiller in a race with our oldest daughter, so we capsized even before we'd even started. And then we went on to a more family-friendly uh, boat <laughs> called an Enterprise, which we had three of those during our journey. And we've actually got three of them in Hong Kong. Enterprise? Enterprises, which we are um, renovating. And they're very secure boats. They're very secure, yeah. really. I mean, they do capsize, yeah. but see, they're more family-friendly. You don't always uh, tip up in <laughs> as you would in the, the Merlin rocket that we had at the time, which was a very, very racy boat. How yeah. did you and Mike then end up in Hong Kong and start sailability? Um, Mike had been in construction, for maybe, well, Land Rover to start with, and then um, Land Rover Rover Triumph, then into construction. And he'd started his own business in the UK. 
He'd looked after people here during the Chingma days. Uh, he worked for Cleveland Bridge that were responsible for all the cables and that on Chingma Bridge. But he was too senior to come out here and I was really jealous, really jealous. So we delayed that. But then we had an offer for Mike to come and work for Sinchong. Uh, what they were doing was bringing in Westerners to make the, the company more Western. And it was, yes, please, Mike, let's go, let's go. Um, our children then, David, were 21, 20 at that time. It's a um, great age for you to Yes, then, it is. Yeah. Uh, one thing our daughter said, though, the middle one, she said, you've never been alone. What about if you don't like each other <laughs> when you're alone and no children around? <laughs> so, I mean, lots of funny stories. We're a family that uh, we make jokes all the time, as you can, you can see. Um, and we came out here, and from that time, when I came out, spouses weren't allowed to work. Oh, because... They're on a different sort of visa. They were on a visa. What they thought in Hong Kong they could do is pick up the talent from within Hong Kong. But you could volunteer. Now, me being a working mum from when I was 21, I needed something to do. And it was the first Chinese New Year we went to a friend's house, and there was somebody there from AWA. And she said, you must join AWA, which I did. Um, and that was... A story and I met lots of lovely people there but then I started to volunteer I volunteered at St John's Cathedral in the charity shop and then one day we were living where the elements is now and there was a dancing room girl called Sophie and my heart just opened up and I thought this is what I want to do so I asked her mum um, if there was a center that she went to she was English and yes so my journey with Nesbitt started then that's right. So at the start, I was volunteering. I also got an Australian friend of mine who's speech and language therapist. So she came in, other friends of mine came in as volunteers. And uh, from that, I progressed to director of work opportunities. That was my HR background coming in there. And from that, I was director of operations up until 2018. Wow, that's incredible. Because that's right. I mean, Kay, looking back, I must have met you in, I think, 2007 seven or 2008 and you were at the Nesbitt Centre yeah. then and it's a wonderful charity it's a wonderful platform that really connects um, adults with special educational needs mm. with work opportunities yes, and then subsequently afterwards you branched out to start sailability with Mike yes we did now that came about uh, from a meeting at the club Mike was on the general committee and Mike's best friend Mark was Commodore at the time and they were looking because of the leases of the private clubs to open up more to the community. So chats, chatting in the bar as they were later after the meeting, Mike said, oh, okay, I'll do something, then we'll start something. Um, Mike came home, we talked about it and we contacted the RYA in the UK about sailability. And they suggested that we started with people with physical disability and I said to Mike, oh no, we will use Nesbitt Centre, my students from Nesbitt Centre, because I'd taken them down there to go on a boat and they'd been out and saying, when can we start to sail? It was all this and everything just came together. And you had a unit there already we who were ready already. to... So we took 10 or 12 down wow. and we hadn't got the boats we have now, but we took them down and... Uh, took them from the club boat onto a safety boat onto a boat with one of the members of staff and um, an instructor and chose four and three of those were Down syndrome 
and another lady with a global development delay. Two still sail with us. One is in Australia and sadly Sean Brown, who is a very big character in Hong Kong, he passed away in the UK. And every Monday they used to go down and sail. So we had some staff trained up to level one, level two from Nesbit and it just grew from there. But the, the thing that was different was that I wanted something that they could do by themselves to give them opportunities. Being on a boat with other people, you're not learning by yourself and you're not doing as much as perhaps you, you could do. And we were visited by an organisation from Australia and at that time it was called Access Dinghies. And they had dinghies that are of universal design and this is a big word in Hong Kong now at the moment, universal design. So boats that can be sailed by anyone. Oh, that sort of inclusive design. It was an inclusive wow. design. And these had been designed by a guy called Chris Mitchell. And it was, he was living in Indonesia. And it was a boat that was very safe, very difficult to capsize. Never say it won't, but very difficult to capsize. And everything is inside the boat. So there's no hiking out. Everything is accessible. And we saw a film, or a few films. And one of them showed a lady with quadriplegia in Australia, sailing one of these boats by herself. She had a click on a helmet she was wearing so she could move her jaw to actually make uh, the main sheet move to move the rudder. So we saw this film and Mike and I said, right, we'll buy the first two boats. So we bought, we put an order in for the first two boats. And when they came, and the sale numbers are given in Australia, the first one was Mike's year of birth. The second one was Mark's date of birth. Whoa. So it was 1944, 1945, and we're going, oh, this is obviously meant to be. Yes. It was just such a strange, strange thing to happen. I'm sure Mark and Mike were looking at each other like, <laughs> I was there when they were doing it. It was just unbelievable. Now, if you'd like to listen to the rest of the Line Rockers with Kay Rawbone, head over to our archive. It's on the podcast as well. What a fantastic guest and a lovely lady uh, Kay is. And Line Rockers will be every Saturday morning at 8.30. And tomorrow's guest will be Christine Lowe, a former Undersecretary of the Environment. She was also a legislator. She worked as a lawyer. She's worked in all sorts of industries. So we'll hear a little bit more about her own childhood, her own upbringing, and also, of course, what the Line Rockers spirit means to her and how she's applied it in her life.